0: Once again, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Crossroads. We're so glad you're here with us today, whether you're here at our Bird campus, with us at our West campus, or watching with us online. Like your host said, my name is Ross. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so thrilled to be here with you today as we are wrapping up our series, Enter Jesus. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter three is where we're going to go today. Uh, John chapter three. And um, while you're turning there, I wanna tell you that maybe you realize we extended this series one week. We actually planned on starting a new series today but we kind of switch things up our new series uh, the invitation will be starting next week and speaking of the invitation um, where you're sitting on the end of each row uh, there are invitations in the form of a bookmark and if you are sitting on the end of each row we would hope that you would pass those down um, because it allows you to have a bookmark follow along with us but also you can take a few more and actually use them as invitations to friends maybe co-workers um, as we begin a new series starting next week. Today in John chapter three, though, we're gonna be looking at a story uh, of an encounter that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus. And uh, as Jesus's popularity was growing, uh, he started having encounters much like this one all the time. There were many people seeking out Jesus for truth and they had many, many questions. And it didn't matter whether you were rich or poor, prostitute or Pharisee, Jesus was willing to talk with Anyone And today in John chapter 3, we're going to look at the encounter he has with Nicodemus, or in fact, I should say the encounter that Nicodemus has with Jesus. And yes, I am going to be reading 15 verses, so follow along with me, stay with me here. Uh, This is what the Bible says in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Everybody say, "born Born born again. Born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Hashtag gross, Nicodemus, okay? (laughs) Jesus answered very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. And we're wrapping up here. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. If you're taking notes with me this morning, I've titled this message, Born Again. Born Again. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you that we get to come here, whether we're at our Newburgh Campus West or watching online and open up your word and have you speak to us. Father, I just pray that you would help me to communicate your word clearly and effectively today and we would leave our time together better than we came in. It's in your name we pray and everybody said amen amen uh just by a show of hands here at our Newburgh campus i can see your hands but um, i want to see who we're working with today we just got done with valentine's day where are all the single people at though single people you can take this opportunity to look around y'all need to calm down over here in the student section um what about where where are all of our married people or, or people just in a relationship all right cool 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 um my my wife and I, we just got done, this is actually our, I, I believe, our 10th year in a relationship, and um, we're we're just about to celebrate our seven-year wedding anniversary, and we've been together for a total of 10 years, and so um, this past Friday was Valentine's Day, and I, I thought I'd make a really sweet post on Instagram, and I posted a bunch of photos uh, of Nikki and I over this past decade, from when we first started just becoming friends to even today. And what's funny is I had one of my students actually before this service began, she came over to me and she said, did you see my comment on your post from, from pictures from the last 10 years? And I said, no. She says, well, I said, Ross, what happened to you? She said, you've changed so much over the past 10 years. And I'll say, I'll I'll tell you what happened to me. Uh, Dealing with students like you for the past 10 years is what has happened to me. That is what what has happened. Um, Nevertheless, every single one of us, we know this to be true. Something is inevitable in our lives and that is that we are all aging. In fact, It's happening right now. Right now, we are all getting older. And this is something that Nicodemus was not really in the dark about. Nicodemus, from his own words and what we just read, actually states that he is old. I believe that he was wrestling with something that we all struggle with, the fact that we are all getting older, that the time that we have left on this earth is getting shorter and shorter. You know, right now they say that life expectancy is about 78.7 years, 78.7. Now, obviously there are people who live to be way older than that, but yet tragically there are some that die young. And so the average comes to about 78.7 years. I came across this study when I was researching for this message um, about a guy who correlated how many years we have left on earth to an actual 24 hour clock. And so it it works a little bit like this. Like if your day starts at 12 a.m., okay, your day starts, if you're 10 years old, it's like it's 3 a.m. in your life. 3 a.m., 3 a.m. Now, if you get a little bit older and you're 20 years old, all of a sudden it becomes 624 a.m. And ironically enough, no 20-year-old on earth is awake at 624 a.m. As you get a little bit older, you have uh, 30 years old, you're at 9.00 a.m., 9 a.m., and uh, a little bit later, you're at 40, and it's already noon. The day is already halfway gone, and ironically enough, this is at the time now that all the 20-year-olds are finally waking up, <laughs> is at noon. You can keep going with this. At 50 years old, it's 318. The, the school bell has already rung. Some, pe- some of us that are at work have already looked at the clock a few times and said, oh, man, the day's almost done, and uh, at 60, it's 6.22, 6.22 p.m., and we're making plans for lunch, or maybe we're already sitting down for lunch, and the day is kind of winding down. The truth is that a lot of us in here, we have less time in front of us than we'd like because life, we understand, is temporary that life is fragile. The way the Bible says it is life is but a vapor. And maybe that's the reason why Nicodemus was coming to Jesus on this day in John chapter three. We don't know exactly why, but it seems to be that Jesus knows exactly why Nicodemus is there. Jesus seems to have all the answers to Nicodemus's questions and the things that he's searching for. It's obvious that whatever the reason why Nicodemus is there that day, he is searching for something. He is looking for answers from Jesus. Now, why should it cause us to take a little bit of a step back when we hear this? See, it doesn't really phase you unless you know who Nicodemus was. First of all, it's important to understand that Nicodemus was one of 6,000. He was one of 6,000 Pharisees on earth during this time, which means that he would have been a man who was highly religious. He had religion and trust me, he was doing it right according to the standard. He had every little box checked off. He was a man of high moral character, even though he may have been a man of spiritual blindness. He was a very, very strict man in his religious views. But not only that, not only was he one of 6,000, but he would have been one of 71. Actually, Nicodemus was a part of the Sanhedrin, which was actually like the Supreme Court of Pharisees and Sadducees. He was not only one of 6,000, he was one of 71, which means that he had relationships. How do you become a part of the Supreme Court? You're born into the right family. You know the hands to shake. You know the people to talk to. You're one of the movers and shakers. This is who Nicodemus was. He had connections. He knew people. Not only was he one of 6,000 or one of 71, but According to rabbinical law, first time I've ever said that out in public, according to rabbinical law, though, Nicodemus would have been known as one of three, one of three of the most richest men men in Jerusalem, which means he had riches. He had stacks on stacks on stacks. He had cash money. He had it all. He was living the dream. He was one of 6,000. He was one of 71. He was one of three, but How many of you know Nicodemus was one of one? He was one of one, which means that Nicodemus was a man who had respect. He had respect. I want you to see what Jesus actually says to him in verse 10 of what we just read. Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. Another translation says, actually, aren't you the teacher of Israel? Notice he says the teacher, not a teacher, which means, Nicodemus would have been the leading voice on spiritual topics in his day. When people had questions about the meaning of life and why we're here and what we're doing and who is God and how does this whole thing work, they would have been flocking to hear Nicodemus. His TED Talks would have been clicked more than anyone else's. His podcast, listened to more than anybody else's. His followers on Instagram, more than anyone else's. would have been packed with people waiting to hear from Nicodemus. Why? Because he's one of 6,000. He's one of 71. He's one of three. He's one of one. This is the guy who comes to a guy like Jesus, a carpenter. No credentials, no connections, no college degree from a nowhere city to seek answers on subjects that he was supposed to be an expert on which is maybe the reason why the bible says that he came to Jesus by night (laughs) can you imagine Nicodemus the guy who's supposed to be a know-it-all coming to a guy like Jesus at night obviously he doesn't want to be seen He's got his coat kind of maybe pulled up over his head, his sunglasses on, a hat on. Jesus is like, where do you want to meet? Nicodemus, Starbucks? No, 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 no. Let's meet in the alley behind Chico's or something. Like, I can't really be seen because I'm going to be asking you questions on things that I'm supposed to know the answers to. And Jesus says, aren't you the teacher of Israel? And you don't know this fundamental truth? What is the fundamental truth? The Nicodemus did not understand that he did not know. I'll tell you what it was. It's not that man needed religion, relationships, riches, or respect, but that man needs to be reborn. That man needs to be reborn. Which brings me to point number one of the message this morning. And if you are taking notes with me, and I hope you are. Point number one is this, salvation is spiritual. It is not mathematical. Salvation is spiritual. It's not mathematical. You know, when I was in high school, um, I thought I had the coolest high school ever because we had RC Cola soda machines. And uh, I, I, I used to love RC Cola uh, products because they made my favorite soda. Uh, this soda called cheer wine. Anybody ever had Cheerwine wine before? It's like this cherry flavored soda and it's, 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 it's amazing. I don't even think they make it anymore. Um, but I used to love going to the machine and getting cheer wine. I remember one day I knew how the machine works. So I, I go up to the machine. The machine works like this. You put in one quarter plus another quarter plus push the button equals soda. That's the way it worked. But on this day, I put in two quarters. I pushed the button, no soda. I was like, that's strange. So I go in my pocket, I pull out two more quarters, put them in, push the button, still no soda. I'm Getting a little upset now, so I kick the machine, no soda, I start shaking the machine, still no soda. I'm working up a sweat now. I start cursing the machine, still no soda. I have a change of heart. I start praying for the machine, still <laughs> no soda. And finally, one of the janitors comes by and says, son, can you read? I said, yes. (laughs) He said, then read the sign. And I looked on the side of the machine. It said, machine out of order. How many of you know, because the machine was out of order, It didn't matter what I was trying to do. It didn't matter what I was investing into it. It didn't matter how much I was striving to get something out of it. It was not going to produce what I was putting into it because it was out of order. Hear me today. Until you make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, there is nothing that you can invest in this life, nothing that you can strive over, no amount of praying or cursing that you can do to get fulfillment, which is what most of us are looking for in this life because our life is simply out of order. And this is what Jesus was trying to teach Nicodemus on that day. He was trying to teach Nicodemus that this thing is not a mathematical equation. See, I think if religion worked like mathematics, it would be something like this, that church attendance plus good behavior equals salvation. But how many of you know there's no amount of do-gooding that we can do? There's no resume that is so impressive that's going to give us the keys to the kingdom of God. In fact, though, that's what religion tells us. Religion says it's man's effort to reach up to God. It's our job to work our way up to him. And Jesus was trying to get Nicodemus and maybe even us today to understand the concept that we cannot work our way up to God. So God had to come down to us. It's the difference between religion, which says it's man's effort to work their way to God. And Jesus says, no, Christianity is God's effort to work his way to man. This is who God is. And that's why I think we see people in our day and age, we're working so hard to become insta-famous. We're looking for 15 minutes of fame. We want the best TikTok and the most followers. And we're trying to network. We're trying to work our way or up the corporate ladder. We're trying to earn as much money as we possibly can. We're trying so bad to be discovered. Listen, that's all the things that Nicodemus had. Yet he still wasn't fulfilled. And so when he comes to Jesus on this day and says, and Jesus says, you need to be reborn. Nicodemus says, this is an impossible solution. Of course, Jesus, like I've been doing all these things my whole life and now I'm an old man and what I've been investing, what I've been searching for, I feel like I don't have. And your advice to me is get born again. Great, great advice. I would do that if I could, but I can't. I'm this old now, how can I just start over? It doesn't work that way. Way, Why do you think I've been doing this this whole time? I'm searching for fulfillment. I'm searching for happiness. What I need, Jesus, is an answer. I came to you today because I needed something different. I need a new teaching. I need a new idea. And Jesus says, no, you need a new heart. You need a fresh start. You need me to wipe the slate clean. You need my spirit inside of you leading you and guiding you every step of the way. You need me to cleanse you from the inside out. Nicodemus, you do not need behavior modification. You need soul transformation. You need to be born again. That's what it means to be born again. Jesus says you're missing the most important part of the equation. I'm the most important part of the equation, Nicodemus. I'm the most important part. The problem is not that you haven't earned it. The problem is that you can't earn it. The problem is that you are a sinner, Nicodemus, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what you need is something else to add to the equation that will not make sense in your mind. What you need is an innocent third party to take your place, to die for your sins. And that's what I've come for. And that's the reason why Jesus pointed Nicodemus to the snake on the pole in the wilderness. <laughs> and some of you are like, what did he just say? A snake on the pole in the wilderness? What are we talking about now? We've already talked about like reentering the womb. Now we're talking about like snakes. I don't know. But I want you to see actually what Jesus says in verse 14. He says this to Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, So the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. When Jesus said this to Nicodemus, it did not scare him. It did not weird him out because Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Remember, he's a Pharisee. He's a smart guy. And he grew up hearing the Jewish story. The Jewish story actually involves a story about a man named Moses who takes the people of God out of captivity and out of slavery and leads them into the promised land. But on their way there, the people started to complain to Moses. The people started to get a little bit antsy. They started to get a little bit impatient and sin started to enter the equation. This is also represented by something that actually happened while they were at the camp that they set up one day, there were snakes that surrounded their camp and snakes began to come in and bite God's people, poisonous snakes. And so poisonous venom was entering their veins. What a great representation of what sin does in our lives. The wages of sin is death. And this is what was happening. These people, they're dying now because they have poison in their veins and they call out to Moses and they say, Moses, we need your help. And so Moses calls out to God and God speaks back to Moses and says, listen, this is what I need you to do. I need you to build a big brass serpent and I need you to put it up on a pole and it's gonna be above the people so that everybody who is dying can look up at the pole and they will be saved. Now, time out for a second. Imagine you're someone who has just been bitten by a poisonous snake. And you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, I'm dying, I'm dying. Moses, what are we going to do? And Moses says, I've gotten a word from God. And you're like, praise God, what is it? Okay, I've built this big brass snake, and I need you to look up at it, and you'll be saved. What? What? How does that make any sense? Also, Moses, too soon, bro, I just got bit by a snake. Now I gotta look up at a giant one? This doesn't make any sense, Moses. This is silly. This is, this is dumb, and they could have persisted in their argument that there's no way this could help, that this doesn't make sense, and they would have died. Or they could have thought to themselves, you know what, this doesn't make sense, but I'm willing to obey and I'm willing to believe in something that seems silly and live. Jesus says, just as the snake was lifted up, I'm going to be lifted up. And anyone who turns to me will be saved. So Nicodemus, you can sit there on the ground and you can persist in your argument. And you can talk about all the books you've read and you can talk about the mathematics that you know how the equation doesn't really work out and it doesn't really add up. And you can talk about your degrees and you can talk about your pedigree and you can talk about where you come from and it doesn't make sense and it shouldn't make sense. Which brings me to point two of the message this morning and it's this, salvation is surrendering what makes sense. Salvation is surrendering what makes sense because hear me today, It doesn't need to make sense. It just needs to work. Am I wrong? It doesn't need to make sense, it just needs to work. I think it's maybe the reason why God picked it, that you and I are dying from the venom that is sin in our lives. And all we need to do is turn to someone who was lifted up and died for our sins and we will be saved. It doesn't make sense. It does seem foolish. It does defy the wisdom of the world. But you know what it also does? It doesn't allow you and I to be the hero of our own story. Listen to me loud and clear. We will always be the damsel in distress. We will always be tied up to the train tracks with no hope and no future. And it will always be Jesus who comes in and saves the day. It will always be Jesus who was lifted up on the pole, which was the cross at Calvary. It will always be Jesus who died a sinner's death that he did not deserve. And it will always be Jesus who rose again from the grave three days later and saved you and I from our poisonous sin. That has invaded our lives. It will always only be Jesus who is the hero of our story. And we could stand firm in the fact that we know it doesn't make sense and persist that doesn't add up, I don't get it, and we could die. Or we can believe in the foolishness that is this gospel we are commanded to preach and live. And I see over and over and over again stories from the Bible and stories throughout history of people who did some foolish things that did not make sense at the time, but over time, it started to make a whole lot of sense. And over time, it actually worked. I think about Noah. Students, we've been talking about this lately a whole lot. I think about Noah who woke up every single day to go out and build an ark for years and years to prepare for this stuff called rain, possibly never heard of or seen before. Yet it made sense when the rain came, didn't it? I think about David, how foolish he must have felt with three armpit hairs and a slingshot going out to fight Goliath. And everybody thinking, this doesn't make sense. How's this little boy going to take down this giant? But it made a whole lot of sense when the giant fell and the battle was won. How silly Sarah must have looked at 90 years old shopping in the maternity section at Target, telling everybody else that she was going to have a baby. But then it worked when the baby finally came. What about this little boy who offered up his lunch to feed 5,000 people. Little boy, this isn't going to make sense. You can't do that. But then it started making a whole lot of sense when Jesus multiplied it and he fed people and they had leftovers. How foolish Paul and Silas must have felt as they were singing hymns in a prison cell, thinking that was somehow going to help. But then as the walls began to shake and the chains fell off of their hands and feet, it started to make a whole lot of sense then, didn't it? What about Jesus? How foolish he must have looked going up on a cross claiming to be God's son and everybody pointing and saying, this is your God. But guess what? Three days later, when he rose from the grave, it sure did start to make a whole lot of sense, didn't it? It doesn't have to make sense, friends. It just needs to work. I offer up evidence that it works by showing you Nicodemus' life. This was a man who had it all, who had tried it all. But on the day he has an encounter with Jesus, everything changed for him. I don't know how it's gonna change for you, but what we see in Nicodemus' life is that he was a different version of himself. This was a man that came to Jesus at night. Remember, he was ashamed to be seen with Jesus. But by the end of it all, after Jesus had died for his sins, guess what? He wasn't ashamed anymore. In fact, Bible tells us that actually, Joseph of Arimathea, he he offers up to take Jesus's body and put him in his tomb. And obviously to do that, he would need some help, right? He had help. After Jesus died on the cross, there was someone else there to help him out. Check out what the Bible says in John chapter 19, verses 39 and 40. He, meaning Joseph, was accompanied by our boy Nicodemus. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus's body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. The man who was once ashamed to be seen with Jesus was now honoring him publicly in the daylight as he took his body off the cross and helped a friend put him in a tomb. I wonder, as he stood there honoring Jesus, were Jesus's words that he once spoke to him reverberating over and over again in his head, the son of man must be lifted up and he will draw all people to himself. All people. People like Nicodemus. People like you, and me, those that are so broken and think that they're so messed up that the grace of God is not an option for them, or those that think that they have it all together, that they've done the Christian checklist and they don't even need the grace of God. Can I just encourage us today? There is not one of us that is so bad that God is not willing to forgive when we accept Jesus Christ into our Lord, as our Lord and Savior and into our heart. Yet on the flip side, there's none of us that are so good that we don't need his forgiveness, that we don't need to be forgiven. Born again, born again. It's a polarizing statement in today's world, isn't it? Like the next time you have a staff meeting before you guys get started, just raise your hand and be like, hey guys, real quick, I need to say something. Um, I'm born again. You're gonna get some weird stares. Because the world has this view, I think. That they, they say, listen, I'm fine with you being a person of faith. I'm cool if you want to be like a church person and all that. But don't tell me you're one of those born again Christians. Ugh. Like That's like the worst kind of Christian, those born again ones. But listen, if you haven't heard anything else I've said today, hear this. The whole message is kind of capsulated into this one thought. Being born again isn't a special type of Christian. It's how you become one. Being born again is not a special type of Christian. It is how you become one. I wanna point your attention to a verse that our students will know very well. It's found in James chapter four and James is my favorite book in the Bible. There's a scripture in James chapter four, verse 14, and it says that our life is like a mist. Another translation of the Bible actually says that our life is but a vapor. Here one day and gone the next. Our life is like a mist. It's just here for a little while and then gone again. I wonder how many of us are living for our mist. How many of us are so focused on things adding up or things making sense so that we can earn our way into heaven or earn our way up the totem pole or work our way up the corporate ladder and we're too focused on what kind of house am I gonna have? What kind of car am I gonna drive? How big is my bank account gonna be? All of these things just missed that are here one day and gone the next. What's the kind of man I'm gonna end up with? Who's the girl I'm gonna get? It's just vapor. I wonder if one day Jesus is gonna see us and say, you traded it all for that. The time you had left on the clock, You wasted it on that. You gave away your purity for that. You traded eternity for just missed. Here one day and gone the next. I have a statistic for us today that I wanna show you and um, it's, I had to do a lot of research to find this and uh, it took me a long time, but I figured it out. Listen, do you know that not only was Nicodemus one of one, but you and I are one of one. I'm gonna share with you a stat today that I hope uh, just blesses you. I hope that you, it leaves you today just feeling very honored and very hopeful for the future. It is this. One, out of every one will die. Just let that bless you for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. One out of everyone will die. I love it when people are like, oh my goodness, I might die. And I'm like, yes, you will. It's, that's going to happen. Yes, it's true. The question is not whether you and I will die. The question is with the time that we have left on our clock, which life are we living for? Because if we are born again, it changes the way that we view our clock. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, but it wasn't long before he was gonna experience the dawning of a brand new day. When you experience being born again, no longer am I living for what this world is living for. No longer am I living and counting down how much time I have left on the clock. No longer am I living for my vapor that's here one day and gone the next. I'm not living for this life. I'm living for eternity. I'm living for my next life. When night comes to an end, I'm going to experience the dawning of a brand new day. So I'm not worried about the things the world's worried about. I'm not stressing about the things the world is stressing about. You can have freedom and peace in knowing that you can be born again. All it takes is to ask Jesus into your heart to be the Lord and savior of your life. And he says, I'll give you a new life, a life that'll last for eternity. God wants that for you. And you can have that today. You can be born again.